HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Ball Factory, a Japanese eatery and coffee shop at 95 Montrose Avenue in East Williamsburg. Learn more at brooklynballfactory.com. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast, local stories for a strong community. Each week, we take you behind the scenes of the artists, activists, and entrepreneurs whose journeys collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. This week, we finish our two-episode run on Vietnamese restaurants in the neighborhood by sitting down with one of Bushwick's most thoughtful business owners to understand. As the neighborhood and its culinary scene change in unpredictable ways, what's top of mind for a restaurateur here? But with all these forces, um, the, with the, the tariffs and um, the, the rent and the, and the minimum wage hike and all this stuff, like eventually you will go to you or we will have to close if we don't. It's Thursday, August 1st, and this episode is called The New Dish Everyone Talks About. When, when people come to the restaurant and they sit, we, we discover that um, uh, a lot of the people who sit at the bar are men. And all the chairs, as you can see on the stools, all have a cut or damage on the right side of the pocket. Henry True is an observational person. And even, and even happened on the best of the very thick chair uh, sofa, there's also one. And it's exactly where the right hand side is. It's a quality you'll notice almost immediately, as he's excited to share his insights into everything from human behavior to sitting patterns. Most people are right-handed. Most men have wallet that have all kinds of things sticks out, or they have tools in their pocket because we have so many artists uh, as patrons. Over the past six years, Henry's been able to observe quite a bit from his unique vantage point behind the scenes of his restaurant, the Vietnamese comfort food kitchen here in Bushwick, Falansai. My name is Henry True. Uh, I am the owner of Falansai Vietnamese restaurant. I'm also the chef. That means I'm here all the time, <laughs> basically uh, living here almost. Having to be both front and back and have no partner means that uh, uh, I pretty much take uh, doing everything from designing of the menu to physically design the menu itself. Henry has an uncanny ability to articulate, among other things, the ways that people move through and experience a space. As a restaurateur, he's just as comfortable talking about the radial projection patterns of ceiling-mounted speakers 
as he is the spice profile of Vietnamese cuisine. For Henry, this surprising skill set makes sense. He has a background that's surely unlike most of his culinary peers here in Bushwick. Before he was drafting menus as a chef, he was creating websites as a user experience designer for clients like banks and film studios. User experience designer mean, um, I, I used to spend a lot of time thinking of how people would come into a website, how they can find things easily, um, how they are, um, their feedback on the website so, so that they know what they're doing and not wasting a lot of time trying to figure it out. Um, and that seemed to come really, uh, come into use a lot at the restaurant. Not only designing the space where you could move around, but also the, the design, the menu, the website, um, uh, training servers to know how to navigate around a busy room. Henry seems to look at Falansai like a kind of design problem, mapping out carefully considered solutions for everything from how the restroom sliding door works to, yes, even how people use those stools at the bar. A lot of bar you go to, the bar stools have no back. And I feel that's really uncomfortable. Basically, you have to sit straight the entire time. Uh, ours have backing. Um, and the other design um, thinking was uh, a lot of women have purses. And having a back that is a straight back on a, on a chair, you can hang your, your purse. Uh, if it's round, your purse will fall off. It has to be on your knees. Or you have to put a hook under the, the bars. But as the multi-hyphenate leader behind one of Bushwick's cult favorite restaurants, Henry's got more on his mind than just his customers' dining habits. We sat down with Henry to learn more about Falansai and unpack the challenges he sees up ahead as the forces changing Bushwick evolve. Though Henry has a bit of a non-traditional background for a restaurateur, He's been close to the food industry in one way or another since coming to the U.S. as a refugee from Vietnam when he was a teenager. One of his first jobs here was working at a French restaurant where he learned how to make desserts and appetizers, and he previously managed a restaurant that belonged to his father. Falansai, however, is the first restaurant he's opened himself. My dad used to have a restaurant when I was uh, in college in uh, Oakland, California, and I ran that for about years while I was uh, out of school. Um, so I knew how to run a restaurant, um, but if I was building one or opening one, I'd never have done that. Henry'd gotten some inspiration from his childhood friend, Charles Fan, who, without much prior experience, opened the acclaimed restaurant The Slanted Door in San Francisco in the 90s. And in the back of his mind, Henry always felt that he could do something similar. I used to work uh, with a friend of mine who opened a, San Fr- uh, a restaurant in San Francisco called The Slanted Door. And the Slender Door was voted uh, best restaurant by the James Beard Foundation uh, a few years ago. And in order to, to be nominated, your restaurant has to exist at least a dozen years. And it, was, it, it won the best restaurant, not the best Vietnamese restaurant, not the best Asian restaurant, but best restaurant in the U.S. period. So I had learned a lot from, from that experience. Um, it's opened by a friend of mine named uh, Charles Fan. Uh, he is, he, he's a child, childhood friend, and he was also very creative, and he, he had no restaurant experience either, that never run a restaurant. He was able to make it to be one of the best restaurants in, in the country, so I had learned a lot from that. And so all the time I, would have, I had thought that someday I would open a restaurant. 
That all came to a head one day as Henry was reflecting in his office at his last job at the financial giant Moody's. I was working, my last job was uh, working at Moody's. Um, it's a, an, an analytic uh, company um, that does uh, rating for, com- for, for offshore company and countries. And I was sitting there at uh, World Trade Center 7. And we looked out the window and I said, what's the best thing about this job? And it was the view <laughs> into the Hudson River. And I knew it was time to quit. Finally ready to move on from his career in tech, Henry was galvanized to pursue the culinary aspirations he'd been harboring for years. But it took him time to refine what would eventually become Falansai. His original idea was wildly different from the restaurant here in Bushwick today. It was initially a food truck for Vietnamese sandwiches. Originally, I was going to do a uh, sandwich uh, uh, food truck. I thought it was a fun idea. And I, um, the, the, the idea was to do a Vietnamese sandwich from the South. So it would be called South Vietnamese Bunny. Uh, uh, but at that time, this is, this is uh, a while back where I think Vietnamese food weren't really well-known in New York City. So I didn't know that people knew the word banh mi, and I was called it uh, subs. And so the name of the company I set up was called Soviet Subs, <laughs> South Vietnamese submarine <laughs> sandwiches, Soviet Subs. And the, the, the reason the word Soviet comes up is because uh, I came from Vietnam after the uh, communists took over, and the Soviet was a big influence in Vietnam. Uh, as a child, I actually watched a lot of movies from Soviet Union, Cuba, and Czech Republic. So I actually know a lot about the history of Russia for some reason. So anyway, um, that was the idea, and I was going to get a, um, one of these uh, trailers um, uh, to, to make it look like a sub. <laughs> because I was a designer, and it's, but of course it's really silly. Um, but anyway, the, the, the name of the company stuck, uh, the Falansai is owned by Soviet subs. In order to understand the restaurant that Henry ultimately developed here, you need to understand the meaning behind its name, Falansai. So Falansai is, uh, my, my dad was, uh, uh, my dad came to, went to Vietnam uh, at the end of World War II from China. It was under Japanese occupation and there was a famine. A lot of people uh, left because there's not enough to eat. My mother also came from around the same area even though they didn't know each other. They met each other in Vietnam. Um, my mother never had enough to eat when she was in China. All she ate was um, rice soup and uh, yams. That's all she ever got to eat. She never knew how to cook. Um, because there was nothing to cook with. Um, so she learned all her cooking in Vietnam from her neighbor. So when growing up, we ate mostly Vietnamese food. And that is why um, I would open a Vietnamese restaurant. Um, so when my dad went to Vietnam, he was illiterate. Uh, he was 15, 16 year old. He went there with his brother, who was, who was younger, so he had to take care of stuff. Um, and he always told a story about how when he, was a, when he was working for people who were shipping fish from the Mekong Delta to Saigon, where he lived, um, there was always these Falansai people that would stop them, set up a roadblock, sometimes shooting at them. 
and um, I did not knew, know back then that he actually, I thought it was a tribe, but there were many mountain tribes in Vietnam. Um, I did not realize that he actually meant the Francais, which is the French colonists. And, and so I thought it was very funny, it's a funny story, a guy uh, from China went to Vietnam uh, and tried to say French. <laughs> and it came out. It came out and um, so the, the reason I picked this name is, is the pillar of Vietnamese food is French, Chinese, and Vietnamese combined. And, and so having the word Falansai could move um, it, in any direction a little further than just straight Vietnamese. At its core, Falansai is about the collision of cultures, something that's reflected in every aspect of the restaurant, even the decor, which Henry describes as colonially inspired. The design of the place is, um, is somewhat, in my mind, somewhat uh, quote-unquote colonial. Um, the, it, it has a tropical color, tropical uh, plants. Um, it, it, it is um, in a way that it's embodied not just like Vietnam, um, what Vietnam looks like before all the wars. Um, and also, you know, where my father came from in China, they also have very similar architecture in Vietnam, and it's color and everything is same. So yeah, I mean, the design of the restaurant is like quote unquote colonial, but it, it, it's not celebrating colonial anything. It's just that that uh, the architecture of, of these places are kind of interesting to look at. Um, you know, plucking something from France and stick it into a tropic is kind of interesting. And had watched the mosque grow on them on the walls. I, that's my childhood. I remember those. Falansai's menu takes the concept even further by melding techniques and flavors from French, Chinese, and Vietnamese cuisine in what Henry calls home-style cooking. The menu includes staples like pho and banh mi, and has at times featured less familiar dishes like ginger chicken and various vegetable-forward items from lotus root to Chinese okra. As a chef, Henry seems to enjoy pushing the boundaries of what a typical diner might consider Vietnamese, and he has his own North Star for staying true to the cuisine. It, it's actually a challenge to try to keep uh, the food tasting Vietnamese, um, because if you put too much coconut milk or curry, it starts tasting like Thai. If you put soy sauce in, it tastes Chinese. Um, so it's, the, it, it's, a, it's a struggle to make sure that a dish using ingredients come from neighboring countries tastes Vietnamese. And my standard of that would be um, if I make a dish for a Vietnamese grandmother, um, even if she doesn't know the ingredients, she will approve. And this happened a few times where uh, the tourists who bought the mother from Vietnam uh, to the restaurant and, and uh, the mother were eating a dish that, that I made up and she really liked it. And she would say, I really like this dish, and she would like to make it at home. Henry notes that introducing so many new flavors and dishes actually poses a bit of a challenge for Falansai. Since opening in 2013, he's had to modify his original vision to suit the taste of the community here in Bushwick, much of which may not be familiar with the kinds of dishes Falansai specializes in. Sometimes you feel a little sad because like, in order to make something that people can enjoy, you have to you have to change so many things that it, it does lots a little bit from the original, but food is cultural. I mean, in Vietnam we we eat a, a fish with with the bones in, and we know how to remove the bone with our tongues, and you can't really do that here because people are not trained to. Somebody going to have a bone in their throat and that will kill the entire evening. Um, 
uh, chicken bone. We love chewing chicken bone, the marrow in the bone. Uh, in, uh, in Vietnam, when we make a fur, it will have so many it will be tendons and all kind of things in it. You know, from time to time, someone will ask for that. Um, but most people don't like want that stuff in their soup. Henry laments that even today, there are purists who say Phalan Sai's food isn't authentic because it's not like what they've eaten at other Vietnamese restaurants. But he counters that these kinds of critics are actually confusing authentic for traditional. A lot of our cooking is home cooking. Uh, from time to time, we get people saying that the food is not authentic. It, it, I think people are confusing the word traditional and authentic. Um, it's that people who say, oh, I ate in three restaurants in Orange County in L.A., and yours don't taste like that. Like, yeah, Orange County is not Vietnam. And the people who go, I went to Vietnam twice, and your food doesn't taste like the one I taste. Well, it depends on what part of Vietnam you went to, and you probably ate on the street or in a restaurant. But if you have been invited to someone's home and they cook for you, it will taste like what we make. In the scheme of things, confronting critics and warming up diners' palates to new flavors are the kinds of challenges that any chef doing something different, like Henry, will have to face. But running a restaurant, and in particular a Vietnamese restaurant in Bushwick, has its own, perhaps even greater challenges. After the break, we dive into what those challenges are like for Henry and get his unvarnished outlook on the future of neighborhood businesses like his. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Ball Factory, a Japanese eatery and coffee shop at 95 Montrose Avenue in East Williamsburg. Brooklyn Ball Factory uses the best ingredients to make Japanese comfort food, like their bento boxes featuring meatballs, grilled veggies, Japanese fried chicken, or pork shabu-shabu. Plus, visit Brooklyn Ball Factory's sister restaurants, Momo Sushi Shack, Samurai Papa, Samurai Mama, Bozu, and Kitare Shokudo. Learn more at brooklynballfactory.com. New York's restaurants are, of course, not a monolith. But as the owner of a Vietnamese restaurant in Bushwick, Henry describes feeling caught between the expectations diners might have around Asian cuisines and the realities of running a business in one of Brooklyn's fastest gentrifying neighborhoods. When people go to a restaurant and they said, oh, your food is similar to one in Chinatown, why is it more expensive? Well, it's, there's, there's multiple reasons, one of which is Chinatown is right next to where there's a store, so they don't have to go anywhere to get stuff. All their stuff comes to them right next to them. And we had to go and procure stuff from uh, further afield. Chinatown, the restaurant in Chinatown are actually geared toward the immigrant um, population, meaning the price point is for the people who work there, who live there. Um, these people don't make much money. Um, so the price point is, if any higher, they will lose all the Asian, uh, not Asian per se, but the Chinese and the Vietnamese customers. Um, they, a lot of them uh, also pay under the table because of the, because of the tax situation, and the, um, uh, um, a lot of restaurants do that. Um, and so the, the, the food, the price point is geared toward a community that can afford it. 
So when people say, oh, why are you not that price? They didn't compare us to our neighbor's restaurant. It, it, they didn't compare us to a Japanese ramen place, um, which is more expensive than Vietnamese food, more expensive, more expensive than ours. Um, you know, people are welcome to go to Chinatown and, and uh, eat the food and pay the price of the, of the community, but you, you actually make money in the bigger population. You actually make way more than they do. So I would say if you frequent to places like that, you're actually dipping into somewhere else, someone else's well and, and take their water. I mean, you can do that, and you should appreciate it, but you don't expect that every community that is ethnically Chinese or Vietnamese have to, um, you know, serve you the same price that they serve their own community. And, you know, being in Bushwick, we pay the same utility taxes. Uh, everything costs the same for us as our neighbor. What you should compare us to is our neighbor, not Chinatown because that is not really where you live. It seems that over the years, Henry's felt that the market puts restaurants like Falansai in a kind of box that can be tough to break out of. Let's say if I be a Vietnamese and ethnic restaurant, people are not willing to pay above certain amount for our food or, or even wine. We serve, no one make Vietnamese wine. The wine comes from Italy, Napa Valley, Finger Lakes, and so basically, it should be priced the same as everyone else's. But we notice that we cannot sell a bottle of wine for more than $50. We, cannot, we, we barely could move a glass of wine uh, at $12 a glass. Henry suggests that this trend has to do with diners' preconceptions around Vietnam and the associations that consumers make between the country and its cuisine. We, we notice that the... Uh, Japanese and Korean restaurants could charge more than Vietnamese. Not that the ingredient is that different except for sushi because it's, it flew in from elsewhere. But um, I, I feel like people pack their expectation to the country of origin about how wealthy it is. So a ja Japanese and Korean make your cars and your cell phones. You're willing to pay more for their food. Um, but the Vietnamese don't make anything <laughs> other than your shoes, probably. Um, so you won't pay for it, um, even though the ingredients are very similar. You could imagine that as a Vietnamese chef and business owner with so much reverence for the food, Henry might feel a chip on his shoulder. If anything, his six years at Falansai have helped him put some distance between himself and what he's found to be the fickleness of the dining industry. I sort of gave up on that. When we first opened, the funniest things when we first opened, we get a lot of criticism on the pricing. And we haven't really changed our price. And now there's so many other Vietnamese restaurants, they're way more expensive. And we are now called one of the cheaper restaurants. <laughs> so uh, I, the, the, the uh, reviews come in and say, oh, reasonably price, or you know, really good price. And basically we didn't really change much. Beyond the unique challenges of operating a Vietnamese restaurant in Bushwick, Henry must also contend with the growing pressures of simply keeping any restaurant afloat here in 2019. So much of the narrative around Bushwick's retail scene focuses on the growth 
an opportunity here. But as Henry explains, that's only one side of the story. He's been observing the changing conditions in the community since first living here 15 years ago. I used to have a house here in 2004. Uh, Back then, there was all empty lots, and I bought a house that was dilapidated, fixed it up, um, rented out, but I could never (laughs) really rent them out. Um, There was four apartments. I live in one of them. I rent out three. Um, I could never raise rent. I didn't want to rate people's rent anyway because I was always a renter. And, and I wanted to sell the place because I did not um, enjoy being a landlord. Uh, so tenants would ask me to rate their rent so I don't want to sell it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, I'd rather not be a landlord. Um, and that was 2004. I actually sold it to one of my customers at the, when I opened the restaurant because it was so busy I didn't want to deal with that place. Having first been a Bushwick resident, Henry's a particularly thoughtful Bushwick restaurateur, and with Falonsai, he seems to feel a very real responsibility to do right by the community as a business owner. The reason we opened this restaurant at this corner of Bushwick that uh, surrounded by warehouses is I'm also aware of the gentrification. I really didn't want to displace people, and because we're surrounded by warehouses, we didn't displace anyone. Um, no one lived here anyway. Um, but, you know, the downside is that, of that is no one is around here. No one stumbles into us. Um, people know about us because they hide from other people. Discoverability is a problem these days, as changes in the neighborhood, like the erratic scheduling of the critical L-train subway line, have made it harder for Henry and the team to build a consistent customer base. For all the thoughtfulness behind Falonsai, the reality is that Bushwick is becoming increasingly transient. And when the L-train isn't running difficult for people to visit. That's actually pretty tough, um, especially because when they announced the closing of the L train, a lot of people move out, a lot of customers moved out. And it's, it's very difficult for us because we could, ne- we could not build on our existing customer. So 70% probably of our customers are regulars, but they kept moving out. And new, one, new, new people move in, and then we will have to we, we, we will gain their trust and their taste, and they come, but then underneath us, other people are moving out because of the train. So it's, it's, it's had been tough. Though the L train hasn't completely shut down as originally was planned, its newly limited run times on nights and weekends have made life significantly harder for businesses that peak during those hours, like restaurants. Henry's thankful that Falonsai has built up enough of an established community to navigate these changes, but he seems skeptical that the neighborhood, or at least his corner of it, which has seen a lot of new restaurant activity in recent years, has enough customers to sustain the kind of market that investors seem to think it can. Recently, there's so many new restaurants been closing around us. Um, so uh, if you're a restaurant, if you aspire to open a bar or restaurant, please stay away from Bushwick. <laughs> Because there's so many, there's not enough people here to support all these new bar and restaurants. Um, there, there, there are at least four places that have closed in the last two months around us. Um, it, it's, it's not that we don't want to share with you. It's just not enough for you to sustain yourself. We've been around long enough that I think we will survive. But really, <laughs> if you're new to this, go, go elsewhere. One potential option would, of course, be to rezone the neighborhood for taller buildings and add more people, as developers here seem intent on doing. Even the Department of City Planning, in its current proposal for Bushwick, is calling for a significant increase in the density of the neighborhood, particularly around public transit lines. But for his part, 
Henry seems closer to the collection of activists and community groups who want to see Bushwick retain its current character and find an equilibrium between the neighborhood's businesses and its population. I actually am not advocating for higher building. I'm just advocating for less <laughs> businesses. You just you, you should you should be uh, opening things that that can be supported by your neighbor. If you don't have enough neighbor, you can't open it here. You just go find where there's more. Uh, m- uh, more people to to open or um, s- space yourself more further apart. Um, I mean, as it's every day I drive around the neighborhood, I see new places popping up and old places and other places close. And it's not the old places that are closed. It's the places that open within a year or two that are closed. That's extremely upsetting because I'm sure people put all their saving into it. And, and, you know, you don't, you don't want to see other people fail, other restaurant or bar fail, even if they're your competitors. It's just, you know, you feel for them because it could happen to you. So. Beyond Bushwick's borders, there are other looming changes that look to complicate business here as well. Policies that can feel somewhat abstract, like the president's capricious trade wars with countries like China and Mexico, threaten a significant impact on the bottom line of restaurants like Falansai. A lot of our... Uh, vegetables that come from China, such as um, lotus roots and Chinese okra, no one grows those in the U.S. Uh, a restaurant makes, uh, if they're lucky, something between like 6 and 10% of sales. So 5% of your produce is, is, is not doable for, for most restaurants. Even more progressive changes, like the city's increased minimum wage, come with their own challenges. Eventually, it will get passed on back to you. Um, it's just how long we can hold on to not having to raise it. But with all these forces, um, the, with the, the tariffs and um, the, the rent and the, and the minimum wage hike and all this stuff, like eventually it will go to you or we will have to close if we don't. So. Just as Bushwick's residents are forced to navigate rising rents and a changing community, so too are its business owners. And for people like Henry, who cares deeply about their impact on the neighborhood as their product, that navigation is only becoming more complicated. It's getting harder and harder just because um, these things are not going to die down. They always keep going up. Um, it's, and we, we uh, butt against people's expect- expectation of Prices in a in a in a ethnic restaurant in a in a Asian uh, in a Southeast Asian re- restaurant context. So uh, there's a ceiling for us to move, but the bottom kept going up. So either we have to change the concept, uh, move to the different neighborhood where uh, people can afford higher prices, um, or you know, uh, not being in Bushwick at all. Um, yeah, those are the stock choices. Um, unfortunately, yeah, you know, we, we want to stay here. We don't want to change um, that way. Uh, but there is a ceiling to what people are willing to pay. I mean, every year since we opened, our rent go up 3% per year. Um, that hasn't get passed on to the customer yet. So it gets to the point where we'll have to. Looking ahead, whatever new changes are in store for Bushwick, Henry seems to hope for a future where the neighborhood becomes less of a novelty for visitors and can sustain a healthy, thriving community. People need to know it's, it's not easy running a, uh, a 
a food establishment, um, and that um, sometimes the um, the aura of a neighborhood or a thing um, overshadow what people what the realities are. Um, you know, I, there's one thing I could think of is sometimes, for example, if you have a restaurant and um, that you have one strange dish and everyone talks about it, and we go, but no one actually ordered it. <laughs> they just go there because of that thing, but um, you know, they, the people just eat the regular food. And so Bushwick is like this shiny thing, this, this new dish <laughs> everyone talks about. But when the train is not really running, no one really comes. So um, we, we have to be aware that uh, our base is actually in the neighborhood. And if there's not enough people, there's not enough base. If you want to find out more about Falansai, you can follow Henry and the team on Instagram at Falansai. You can also check out their website at falansai.com or pop in for a great meal for yourself by visiting them at 112 Harrison Place. We've got all that info and more in the show notes for this week's episode. Our sincere thanks to Henry and all the folks at Falansai for taking us behind the scenes of the restaurant and for sharing such a candid perspective on the future of business in Bushwick. We'd also like to send a very special thank you this week to Hannah Douglas, who contributed with editing, writing, and producing for this week's episode. You can follow Hannah on Instagram at hannah.travels and on Twitter at Hannah Travels. We've got her info in the show notes as well. As always, we'd also like to thank you for listening this week. If you enjoy Bushwick Podcast, you can do us a huge favor by telling a friend or even by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform, which helps us reach even more new listeners with stories like these. We'll be back next week with another story you won't want to miss. And in the meantime, did you know that Bushwick Podcast is made by people just like you? We'd love your thoughts and your help. If you have questions, comments, or want to get involved, send us an email to hello at herebushwick.com. That's H-E-A-R bushwick.com. Or you can always DM us on our Instagram page at Bushwick Podcast. We look forward to hearing from you soon, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.